0: I want you to think of someone in your life who you would describe as an encourager. Someone in your life who is always there to encourage you. That no matter what you're going through, they they come alongside you and they pick you up and they 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 help you in those moments of of maybe self doubt or self loathing. We all have those. Uh, but maybe this person comes up to you and and just they'll put your arm around, put their arm around you, and and they comfort you and they encourage you. Think of. Who is that person in your life think about that person for just a minute now, I want to tell you about who that person is in my life and that's my dad uh, my dad his name is Charlie and and my dad is an encourager uh, how many of you are friends with my dad on Facebook if you are, yeah if you are you know you are uh, because my dad is a, is a Facebook encourager if there ever was one uh, my dad will uh, send people notes Uh, He will send them just, I'm praying for you. If you put on Facebook that you're really going through a hard time, my dad will say, I'm praying for you. Uh, He sends them funny pictures, sometimes inappropriate, but um, uh, you've gotten those, okay. Um, But if you haven't friended my dad on Facebook yet, you need to friend my dad on Facebook. His name is Charlie Cornett, and he accepts everybody, because my dad is awesome. Uh, My dad is a great guy, and he is an encourager. He's an encourager to me, that when the world is just kicking my tail end and and beating me up and tearing me down, my dad is there to encourage me. And and he tells me that he loves me, he's proud of me, and he picks me up when I'm down. And and I love my dad, and uh, I was hoping he'd be here at this service because I really wanted to make him cry. But he's not here today because his mom's not feeling well. But uh, my dad is an encourager. My dad is just that kind of guy. He's an encourager, and, and I hope you have someone in your life who's an encourager to you. I hope that you can think of that person and think, "Man, well, you're right, Sean. Whenever life is just beating me up and tearing me down, I have there's that person who comes alongside me and they they pick me up when I'm feeling bad and they they help me in those moments of need. They help me in those times of need, and and they really encourage me. Because let's face it, we live in a very discouraging world." Our world is so uh, discouraging. Uh, if you watch the news for five minutes, you will be discouraged. If you read the newspaper, all four of you, if you read the newspaper, um, people don't read newspapers anymore, but uh, you, know, you will be discouraged. If you uh, talk to your friends and, and talk to other people and, and you hear some of the things going on in their lives, there's a lot that can discourage us. And we need people to come alongside us to be encouragers. And not only do we need people to come alongside us and encourage us, but we need to be encouragers. And that's what we're going to talk about today, is is encouraging one another in the church. We're continuing in our series called Heart Matters. And this series is all about uh, the last command that Jesus gave to his disciples, which was to love one another. And as he has loved us, we need to love one another in the church. That's what we're called to do. It's the last command Jesus gave his disciples, love one another. And we're looking at different practical ways that we can put that last command into practice. And so we've talked about how we need to accept one another, how we need to submit to one another, how we need to carry each other's burdens. Uh, We also talked about how we need to bear with one another, because sometimes love means putting up with somebody, and it means bearing with somebody. And so we've talked about all these different ways that we can help each other and love each other in the church. And today we're going to talk about how we can encourage each other in the church, because we need to encourage one another in such a discouraging world. And so we're looking at a passage of scripture today, it's kind of lengthy, it's from the book of 1 Thessalonians, and the book of 1 Thessalonians is the first letter that the apostle Paul wrote to the churches at Thessalonica, and Thessalonica was a city in ancient Greece. And this city was a major city. It was a very important city. It was the capital of its province, uh, and it had about 200,000 people who lived there. So it's a, it's a really good-sized city. And the Apostle Paul started a bunch of churches there uh, in, in Thessalonica. And it was made up mostly of Gentiles and a few Jewish believers. And one of the things that they didn't understand at the church, in the churches of Thessalonica was about the return of Christ, that Jesus was coming back. And so in chapters four and five of first Thessalonians, the apostle Paul talks about how Jesus is going to come back and what that's going to look like. So we're going to focus on that today. We're going to talk about the return of Jesus and what that means for us in the church today and how we need to encourage each other with this thought, how we need to encourage each other in such a discouraging world. Um, When it comes to the return of Christ uh, we're going to look at chapters 4 and 5 of, of First Thessalonians today, the, the last half of chapter 4 and the first part of chapter 5. Uh, and we're going to talk about encouraging each other. Now, one of the things that you've got to know uh, is that uh, the, the church at Thessalonica, uh, they were confused. And they were really concerned about what would happen with the people who died in the Lord before Jesus came back. And so the the church of Thessalonica, this letter was written to them about 20 years after the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus, the son of God, went to a Roman cross. He suffered and died just like he said he would. He predicted his own death, but he also predicted that he would rise again. That Jesus not only predicted his own death, but he predicted his resurrection. He said on the third day, God the Father would raise him back to life. And sure enough, that's exactly what happened. That Jesus died and on the third day was raised back to life. And then 50 days later, he ascended into heaven. After appearing to hundreds of people who who verified that Jesus was alive, uh, Jesus was ascended into heaven. He went up into heaven, and he also predicted that he would come back. And so we're going to talk about that today, how Jesus predicted uh, he would come back and what that looks like according to Paul in 1 Thessalonians 4 and 5. So if you brought a Bible, great. Turn to uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. If you didn't bring a Bible, you can grab one out of the chair in front of you. It's on page 836 of that Bible. You can use your favorite app on your smartphone or tablet, and we'll put the words on the screen as well. And we're going to take this in three pieces, 1 Thessalonians 4 and 5, uh, verses 1 through 11. So let's look at 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18 to begin with. Paul wrote to the Thessalonians. He said, brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. And so the first thing we need to encourage each other with is the fact that Jesus is coming back. We need to encourage one another with the fact that Christ is going to return. Because, the like I said, the Thessalonians were worried. They were concerned. What about all these people who died uh, before Jesus came back? Because every generation... Since Jesus ascended into heaven, every generation has believed that they were going to be the one that would see the return of Christ. Every generation. And so whenever you hear somebody say, oh, Jesus is going to come back in my lifetime, every generation has thought that. And it hasn't happened yet. I'm not saying he's not going to return in our lifetimes, but every generation has thought that. Every generation has said, you know, things are so bad and things have gotten so terrible and things are so awful that, that Jesus has to come back, right? And and yet it continues to get worse and worse and worse. And Jesus has yet to return, but he is coming back. He will return, he will come back, and he will take us home to be with him. And when he comes back, those who have died in the Lord, those who put their faith and trust in Jesus by believing in him, turning away from sin and repentance, confessing their faith, getting baptized, God is going to bring those people who have died in the Lord back with Him, and they are going to come back with Him, and this event is going to be both audible and visible, that there is the, the trumpet call of God, the voice of the archangel, a loud command. Everyone's going to hear it, and everyone's going to see it. Jesus and the, and the angels and the, the, those who have died in the Lord are going to come back with Him, and everyone's going to see it, and everyone is going to see Jesus. You may have heard people talk about, have you ever heard of people talk about the rapture? This idea that Jesus, it's like this secret return of Christ, that Christ is going to come back and and all of a sudden uh, all the Christians are going to disappear. You heard about this? You know, the planes are going to fall into the sea and uh, uh, cars are going to veer off the road because all the Christians are going to disappear and people are going to wonder what happened. If you ever read the left behind novels, it's great fiction, emphasis on fiction. Um, what we read in First Thessalonians chapter 4 is that when Christ returns, it will be both audible and visible. That Everyone's going to see Jesus, and everyone's going to hear him return. And so there will be no more doubt as to who is king and who is Lord when Jesus Christ returns. And like I said, he's going to bring back those who, have, who died in the Lord before us, and, he, and those, the rest of us who are left here on the earth will be caught up to meet him in the air. And it says we will be with the Lord for how long? forever. And we should encourage each other with this thought because we live in such a discouraging world. We need to encourage each other with the fact that Jesus is coming back and that we will be with him forever. What a great thought, right? I mean, what an amazing thought that we are going to be in heaven with the Lord Jesus forever and ever and ever. It's never going to end. Sheer joy and love forever and ever and ever in his presence. I love it. Well, when is this going to happen? Let's look at 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 through 3. Now, brothers, about times and dates we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. And so what Paul says is that the return of Jesus is going to happen, and nobody knows when it's going to happen. It's going to come like a thief in the night. If you knew that someone was going to break into your house next Friday night, where would you be? You'd be at home with a baseball bat wrapped in barbed. No, don't do that. Okay, no. That that would be bad. That would be bad. But you would be home waiting for them to arrive. But the thing is, a thief will come when you're not expecting them. The same thing can be said about the return of Jesus. He is going to come back at a time when no one expects him. It is going to be a surprise. Jesus is going to come back; he will return, but if you don't, but nobody knows when it's going to happen. Nobody knows. God knows, but we don't. We have no idea. Because imagine if you knew that Jesus was coming back on, let's say, uh, ten years from today, November eleventh, two thousand twenty-eight. If you knew Jesus was coming back, November eleventh, two thousand twenty-eight, what would you do between now and November tenth, two thousand twenty-eight? Party! I'm gonna live however. I want I'll tell everybody about Jesus like six months before he goes I'm just gonna do whatever I want until then I'm gonna live my life the way I want but we need to live in in the Expectation that Jesus is coming back at any time Which means we need to tell people about Jesus as often as we can We need to share our faith with people as much as we can because we don't know when he's coming back But he is coming back Back. Wouldn't it be weird if he actually did come back on November twenty, on November 11, 2028? You'd be like, man, Sean really knew what he was talking about. He was a prophet. We probably should have listened to him a little bit more. Right? No. <laughs> Got lucky, pretty much. But when it comes to return of Jesus, he is coming back. And we need to be prepared. We need to be Ready? And, we, and that means we need to, to tell everybody about Jesus, because God wants everyone to be saved. In 2 Peter 3, 9, it says this, The Lord is not slow in keeping His promises. Some understand slowness. Instead, He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God wants everyone to come to repentance. God wants everybody to turn away from sin and turn to Jesus for forgiveness. He wants everyone to be saved. That's what it says in 1 Timothy 2.4. It says God wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. God wants everyone everywhere to be saved, to put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ for salvation and forgiveness. Because Jesus is the only way to be saved. And so we need to get everyone ready. That is our job, is to share our faith with people, because we don't know when he's coming back. But he is coming back, and we need to prepare people for that fact. I want to close out by reading from verses 4 through 11 in 1 Thessalonians 5. He says, But you, brothers, are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all sons of the light and sons of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be alert and self-controlled. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing. And so we need to continually build one another up and encourage each other in the church. Because we're all we've got. All right, We're all on Team Jesus, and, and we're all we've got. We've got to encourage each other in the church. Um, and, and Paul says that we do not live in the darkness, but rather we need to live in the light. We need to be prepared for the return of Jesus. We need to be able to read the signs of his return. And, and we're not living in the darkness. We are living in the light. What the Apostle John wrote in 1 John 1, 5-7, he said this, This is the message we have heard from him and declared to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and we do not know the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. And so when we walk out of the darkness and into the light of God's grace, he forgives our sins, purifies us from all unrighteousness, and he, and he gives us the promise and the hope of eternal life with him. So that when Jesus comes back, we have nothing to fear. We sang songs earlier about how God drives out fear. His perfect love drives out fear. And we have nothing to be afraid of when it comes to the return of Jesus. If we are walking in the light as he is in the light, we got nothing to be afraid of. When Jesus comes back, it'll be the most glorious thing that ever happens. Now, I've been teaching you some Greek words along the way through this series. Uh, The New Testament was written in ancient Greek, and I want to treat you a couple more Greek words today. Uh, The first is parakaleo, and it is a compound of two words, the first being para, which means beside, and the second is kaleo, which means to call. And so the word parakaleo literally means to call to one's side, uh, to console someone, to encourage them, to strengthen them or exhort them. So we are called to parakaleo, one another, which means to call to one side. We'll get into what that means in just a little bit. Uh, the other Greek word I want to teach you today is oikadameo. And okidemeo, uh literally means to build or repair a house. Um, it, it means to promote growth in Christian wisdom, uh, affection, uh, grace, virtue, holiness, blessedness, uh, it means to exhort and and to encourage people to build them up, to edify them instead of tearing them down. So these are the two words that, that Paul uses to describe of how we're supposed to fulfill God's command to love one another in the church. And so if we're going to love one another in the church, we need to do these two things. We need to parakaleo one another, which means to encourage each other to come beside one another. And we need to okidameo one another, which means to build each other up. And I think there are some practical ways that we can do this, that we can parakaleo and okidameo one another. And one of them is, is when we come to church. Hebrews 11:24 and 25 says this, Let us consider... How we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. That word encouraging is that parakleto word, to come beside and encourage. And that means, I'm going to tell you right now, this is the exhortation part of, what, of, of parakleto, this is the exhortation. You need to go to church. And the reason I say that is, is not for Numbers' sake. And, and You need to come to be encouraged by someone and to encourage someone you need to go to church and that's what Hebrews 11 24 and 25 is talking about some people give up the habit of going to church some people say well I don't have to be a, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian I believe you do I believe you need to go to church if you want to grow in your faith that you need to be a part of a church family if you want to grow in faith and going to church is more than just singing a few nice songs But that's part of it. It's more than just taking communion, although that's a part of it. And it's more than giving an offering or listening to an inspiring message, though that's a part of it. No, one of the main reasons that we need to go to church is to encourage someone and be encouraged by someone. That parakaleo. And I know I may be stepping on your toes or your friend's toes who aren't here. But I'm telling you right now, if you want to be a growing Christian, you need to go to church. And it's not just to sing songs or take communion or listen to a message. It is to encourage someone or be encouraged by someone. You have no idea how much your presence in this place may be an encouragement to someone else. Just the fact that you're here can encourage someone. You may never come beside, you may never talk to them, but they know what you're going through. They've heard your story or they've heard about the, the hardships that you're facing or the, the difficulties that you're facing. And they see you here and they go, man, if she can do it, I can do it. If he can do it, I can do it. And if God is strengthening his life or God is strengthening her life, that's an encouragement to me. And so you don't know how much your presence here encourages someone. And you don't know how much, uh, and, and they don't know how much they're encouraging you. And so we need to encourage one another in the church to parakaleo, to come beside one another. And that's the first step that I have for you to take today. So I'd like to talk about steps, and your first step is to come beside someone. You cannot encourage someone by standing in front of them. You can. Hey, come on, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. If you're not facing me, if you're not, if you're not alongside me, you're not encouraging me. You may be leading me, but you're not encouraging me. Uh, you cannot encourage someone by standing beside, behind them. You cannot encourage someone by standing behind them because then you're just pushing them, you know, and sometimes you're pushing them off a cliff. Don't do that. You can't encourage someone by standing in front of them. You can't encourage someone by standing behind them. You can't encourage someone by standing over them when you're looking down on them and put, pointing your finger at them and saying, you know, you're terrible, you're horrible, you're awful. You know, that's discouraging. If you want to encourage someone, uh, you gotta, you got to come beside them. So you can't encourage someone by standing in front of them, or standing behind them, or standing over them, or undermining them. You need to come beside them. And that means investing your life in someone else. Now, you're not going to know everybody in a growing church. You're not going to know everyone's story. You're not going to know what everyone's going through. But you can know a few people, and you can invest your life in them to be an encouragement to them. So come beside someone. Put your arm around them. Say, tell me your story open up. You know, and 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 it requires vulnerability, it requires openness. And not everyone wants to talk about that kind of stuff, but if you will come beside someone, you're you're more likely to gain an audience and you're more likely to encourage them than if you're trying to lead them or trying to push them or trying to look down on them or trying to undermine them. So my encouragement for you today is to come beside someone, to come alongside them, put your arm around them and say, "Hey, how are you doing? How can I help? The next step that you need to take is uh, you need to build people up. You need to build people up. And, and that's not always easy. We live in a world where people tear each other down all the time. Did you watch any TV in the last three months and the political ads and the news and everything? It is a discouraging world, man, and people are tearing each other down. Soapbox moment. Did you watch any of the concession speeches? Uh, not the concession, but like the, the victory speeches. So okay, so for three months, this guy or this girl is the worst person who ever lived, and then in the in the victory speech, it's like I want to thank my opponent for being for running such a valiant campaign or for being such a a worthy opponent. Now wait a minute, wait a minute. Three days ago, you know they were worse. Uh, than then the worst person who ever lived, and now you're thanking them? Mm. Pastor Sean is skeptical. Anyway, we live in a world where people tear each other down all the time. We need to build each other up in the church. We need to build each other up. And, and, and I have some practical a practical suggestion, a way that you can do this, to build someone up. And that is to take five minutes. You have 168 hours a week. All right, you have 168 hours. And I'm asking you to take five minutes out of that 168 hours and write an encouragement note to someone. Whether it's an email or a text or a card or a note, write an encouragement note to someone this week. Five minutes. Someone you know who's having a hard time. Someone you know who's going through something rough. Someone you know who's having a difficulty. And just write them, someone who's discouraged, write them a note. Five minutes is all I ask. And give it to them. You can give it to them anonymous, anonymously through someone else or in the mail. Or you can just go right up to him and say, you know, I've been thinking about you. And I want to, I, I, I got a note for you. I just want to encourage you to build someone up. And, and I have some suggestions about people you can give a note to. One, it could be your child or your spouse or your grandkids. You know, how much, how, how would it make your kids day if they open up their lunch tomorrow at school? And there's a note from mom or dad in there. Because I love you and I'm proud of you and I hope you have the best day ever. That didn't even take five minutes. But if you put a note in your kid's lunchbox tomorrow or or in your spouse's lunchbox or, or leave a note on the mirror, you know, just a post-it note right there on the mirror. You know, that when they wake up and they go in the bathroom, they see it. It's like, what is that? Oh, my goodness. They actually listened to the sermon yesterday. That's an encouragement to me. But, uh, so your spouse, or your kids, or your grandkids, leave them a note. Tell them, tell them that you love them and that you want to encourage them. Uh, it could be a, a staff member here at GFCC. I'll be honest. Ministry can be very discouraging. Ministry can be really discouraging. And 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 your your minister staff, your your pastoral staff, your the staff here at GFCC, we need encouragement too. You know, I've I, I heard it said this. I've heard it said that it takes seven. Positive messages to counteract one negative message. Seven positive messages then to counteract one negative message. So if, if you complain about something, you know, sermons go too long, and that gets back to me. It takes seven people coming and say, "No, Sean, your sermons aren't too long. You're just right." Seven people to tell me that I'm okay before I start to believe it. So. How can you be an encourager to a staff member here at GFCC? Because like I said, ministry can be very discouraging. Send Brandon a note uh, about the the music and how you love the new song we sang this week. Send Sherry a note in the children's ministry about what a great job she's doing with the kids. Send Joanne a note about how you know how hard it is to put up with Sean every single day and that you're praying for her. Pray for your secretary. Send me a note. Tell me you like my pink shirt. That'll be great send a a, a note to a a gfcc staff member or or maybe a single mom or dad here at church if you know someone who's a single mom or a single dad send them an encouragement note and let them know that you're praying for them because that's one of the hardest jobs in the world to be a single mom or a single dad and they need your encouragement um because you know they try so hard and so often they feel like a failure but they're not a failure and if you encourage them in their in in their journey of being a single parent, you know they will feel less like a failure, and they'll feel they'll know that you're on their team, that you're on their side. Maybe it's to a widow or a widower here at uh, the holidays. You know this is a tough time of year for a lot of people who've lost loved ones. You know encourage them, send them a note to say, "You know what? I know this this year may be really hard for you, but I love you, and I'm praying for you, and I just want to encourage you here at the holidays." Or maybe there's someone going through a financial difficulty or a hard time in their relationship with their spouse or with their kids or their grandkids, with their brothers or sisters, with their parents. Send someone, just take five minutes this week, and send someone an encouragement note. Uh, Because this is what it's all about. We need to encourage each other in the church because no one else is going to do it for us. We need to encourage each other in the church because no one else is going to do it for us. No one. Like I said, we live in a very discouraging world and we need to encourage each other in the church because no one else is going to do it for us. So how can you do that this week? You can take five minutes and write someone an encouragement note and you're going to make their day and you may make their week. You may make their year. Let someone know that you're praying for them and that you want to encourage them and that you are on their team, that you are on their side. And it may be hard at first. It may be difficult at first, but I know you can do it. So take that five minutes this week. Send somebody an encouragement note and let them know that you're on their team.